God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, D. We're going to, right after service, after the benediction, we're going to have a couple of announcements. So uh, I just want you to be aware of that so you don't have that kind of emotional, oh, i got to get back in my seats after all everything's done and everything. So just want to give you a little heads up on that, some updates from last week as we talked about the building and things like that. So I just want to give you a heads up about all that stuff. It'll, it'll be short. But... Uh, not just last week, but for the last two and a half months, we've gone through these psalms. Where do we go from here? How do we end this up? Psalm 150 is the answer to that question. These last psalms have been interesting for us, I think, as we've talked through them and we've, we've worked through all of them. We've sung the poetry of the Holy Spirit, if you will. We've uh, uh, explored every topic under the sun, songs about life and death about uh, suffering and triumph. Is that better? We sung out to God on how, how He's created us as dignified human beings, that we have weight and kind of glory, some heftiness, if you will, honor, important to uh, creation and important to the Creator. We've also hummed some of the bass notes in these psalms, Uh, about how deeply and tragically fallen we are, rebels at heart, fools, sometimes God-hating fools, venomous against each other, ourselves even sometimes, against what is true and good and beautiful. And we've heard the key changes, so we're crying out for mercy in these psalms, where God says that He will forgive our sin and He will make a way for us and restore to us um, from our spiritual treason, our cosmic infidelity, and bring us to paths of light and safety. We've winced at those harmonies that uh, are a little bit strange for us. I don't know about music to describe the kind of harmony it is, but that one that kind of just is a little bit odd, uh, a little bit off, um, but fits right, that harmony that says that we're calling out for justice, for the destruction of the wicked, for the ending of oppression, the breaking of the jaws of those who rebel and who marginalize the oppressed and the weak. Bottom line, Psalms, all the Psalms for these last two and a half months have, um, have made us realize that we have an unmanageable God. He's not manageable. He's not trivial, trifling or trite or anything like that. You can't manipulate Him because as last week we heard, He has hemmed us in from all sides. Every square inch of creation is His. Every wrinkle on your skin, every cell in your body, every tone uh, in your melanin in your skin is controlled and celebrated by God who made you in your mother's womb, as we heard last week. 
The Psalms, all these last two and a half months, have set a trap for us. A beautiful trap for us. That the only way we can look into the universe and make any sense of anything is when Christ alone is our source and the Savior of our souls. If you were here last week for Omari's ordination, Pastor Culbertson looked at him, stood right behind this pulpit, looked at Omari right here who just got ordained, and he looked at him dead in the eye and he said... Omari, you can do nothing outside of Jesus. It's that same kind of thing that happens in the Psalms. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. So what do we do with that all? In the tears of ecstasy and in in dry heaves of grief, elation, depression, anger, awe, triumph, revelry, despair, whatever it is, where do we go? How does the psalm lead us to something? Where does it lead us? And it leads us to Psalm 150. And it's almost too churchy of an answer to give you. Praise the Lord. That's the answer. The last psalm in the entire Psalter is praise the Lord. Translated from the Hebrew word, which we also know, hallelujah. 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 Praise to Yahweh. Praise to Jah, to Yahweh. Another writer, John Pulsford, says this, The greatest number of words between any two hallelujahs is four. And that happens only once. In every other instance, between one hallelujah and another, there are only two words. It is as though the soul gave utterance to its whole life and feeling in one word. Hallelujah. The words praise ye the Lord or praise him, which is hallelujah el, him be, uh, or hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah el, praise him, praise him, are reiterated no more than 12 times in six verses. This is the hallelujah chorus to the Psalms. That's what's happening here. Hallelujah is the hook. Y'all know what a hook is, right? My name is, my name is, right? That's the hook. Sometimes it's... That squeaky sound in Public Enemy, you know, you know this, y'all are too young over there. Anybody got, thank you for a head nod, someone. That's a hook that kind of gets you, gets you going. Or don't, don't, maybe that's easier. That, that, That little hook that gets you going. Rolling Stones for you older folks, you know, I can't get, no, sometimes it's musical, na, 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 you know, that's the hook, that's the hook. Or my, my favorite, I was, I, I kind of list, I started lifting like 50 of them when I was, when I was doing this sermon. Mama say, mama saw, mama saw. <laughs> For some of you, that's Rihanna. For the rest of you, that's Michael Jackson. <laughs> and oh, I, I shouldn't even go into this. It absolutely means nothing. You know that, don't you? He even admitted, he says, it's just gibberish, but it's a hook, isn't it? It's a great hook. This song and psalm doesn't fade out with the hook. It fades up. It, it, it amps up with this word hallelujah. And it's amping up this whole time. And now I know that if I say praise the Lord when I'm 15 miles from the PTO club, that can be a problem. And so I'm asking you to erase connotations and definitions. Blank it out a little bit. Clear your hard drive for this term. And let's enter into this and what it's doing for us. 
Because worship, according to the Scriptures, and as we've learned through these Psalms, is the grounding reality of life. It sets and experiences and deals with the way life is, not just the way life ought to be. It does do that too. So worship is in a worship of in our entire lives, and it doesn't just mean hallelujah as a happy, clappy, too much makeup person. <laughs> with really good hair. It's a grounding reality. It's got the full range. We've heard this from the Psalms that we've sung so far, the full range of emotional and intellectual reality. Deep doubt, hopelessness, hope, hope among hopeless things, full-bodied praise, wide-eyed about the world and the way it is. Clear that we live in gutters and guest houses. The hook of the hallelujah is the center reality for us. Praise the Lord is not bleach blonde, but dealing exactly with the world the way it is, as we are. Hallelujah is the hook of real life. One commentator writes this, The hallelujah chorus, the sobs and sighs of many a previous psalm, now changed into shouts and songs. The wistful longings, triumphant hopes, and soaring faith of so many of the Hebrew hymns are now caught up in rapture, if you will, and made to reverberate around the throne of God. Listen to this. We stand now at faith's Niagara, entranced, entranced, excuse me, by its lit resistless flow of praise, dazzled by its rainbow tinted spray, awestruck by its thundering sound. Nowhere, not even the, in the vastness of the book of Psalms itself, is there anything to compare with this last resounding doxology of praise. Amid all of life, hallelujah, is the hook. Praise the Lord. And we're just going to take this straight through. One through six, we're just going to walk right through the verses. We're going to let it lead us to where we need to go. So we're going to explore it with the first questions it asks of us or it shows us about praising, and that is where. And the answer is wherever we are. Look at it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. El. In His sanctuary. Praise God in His sanctuary. If you were a Hebrew hearer, you'd be thinking, oh, we're talking about the Davidic temple, the Solomonic temple. We'd be thinking about uh, the tabernacle and things like that, where his people gathered. We think about the people in the outer courts where everyone was able to kind of hear um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and hear and worship God together as a full community. Uh, it surrounded the whole temple and they were assembled there to hear God's worship. But you're also thinking about the priests who um, could go into the holy place or uh, the hechal and they would go in. And, but before they went in, they had to wash their hands uh, in order to go into this kind of middle middle place, watch their whole bodies depending on what era and what, whether it was the tabernacle or temple or which temple it was. And the lo- walls there were lined with cedar, carved cherubim, angels all about them. About them. Burnt offering, when you, you, it was this flaming burnt offering that was beforehand, before them. It was where it's sometimes called the inner quarter, the court of the priests, and they were able to go in there. But then there was this other place called the Holy of Holies. It was the uh, Kadosh Kadoshim. It was the place that was set apart for only the high priest once a year could go to. And that high priest uh, would make sacrifice for, uh, for the people. And in between that, the, well, oh, first of all, there's these, it was, it, it's, it's a, um, 
um, Indiana Jones, that whole Ark of the Covenant thing. It looks like that in there, you know? Uh, but you can look at it. Um, actually, only the high priest can look at it. Uh, it won't melt your skin or anything like that. Um, but it was this holy of holy, and they, it says that, um, the, 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 that uh, there was wainscoted cedar of Lebanon on it. I don't know if wainscoted is a... Yeah, I don't know exactly how they got that. But um, uh, the floors were overlaid with gold. And outside of the door, there were uh, blue and purple and red linens. It was set apart, no windows. This praise God in his sanctuary was this full orb communal experience where you could worship the Lord in God's dwelling place, where he was, where he abided. Every square inch of the temple, you could be hooked into worship. Now, I want to help you here. Because this, this may be totally trite and no big deal for some of you, but it is, I think it's absolutely pivotal and important for all of us. And that is, there is no place to get hooked in the hallelujah like gathering with the people of God. That is the place where most promises for the Lord's presence are. Did you know that? It's actually not in your quiet time on the mountaintop. Quiet times on the mountaintop, great. Prayer times, great. No one's saying, no one's saying from here, don't pray. And don't climb a mountain and see how cool God is. I'm not saying any of that. But the place where the promises are to get hooked in the hallelujah are actually in the gathered worship of God's people. Us gathering together formally to give him praise. Praise God in his sanctuary. Hallelujah in his sanctuary. See, it's saying that your hallelujahs affect mine. And my hallelujahs affect yours. The ringing of each other's hallelujahs in the ears change us and shape us, and they rightly do this. And this means that we have to know each other. And that it's a privilege to know each other in this. It's here in the church that we see people come down to the table who've been struggling. And you know it. And they come for grace and mercy. Bruised and battered by their own decisions, sometimes bruised and battered by the violent acts of others. They come forward. They pray sometimes in tears. They've pent up all week. Hallelujah, together in his sanctuary. You can look across the room and know that God has given them food or a car or a job or just life or waking up in your right mind. It's here where we hear the healing of John Otzenberger's mama from stage four cancer. It's here where we hear about the Otzenberger's family member who died. He's just two years old. It's the reality of life that's brought to this place. We don't forget everything when we come here. We bring all of life here and are met here by our God and Creator. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The most important place, the, the most clear place He comes is meet us here in the sanctuary. But as you read on, it says not just praise him in his sanctuary, but praise him in his mighty heavens. And what you're doing in this this short verse is, is actually saying there is no place that he isn't praised. Up above and below, in the sanctuary and in the heavens, in the expanse. And this isn't quite new for us. We've heard this in the Psalms before. The heavens declare his glory night after night. They pour forth speech. Rocks cry out. We heard in the call to worship. Trees start clapping hands. Heavens declare glory. It's all happening all over the place. You get this. This is not new. Those metaphors are all about us. All sorts of things are singing hallelujah. All places and all times we sing hallelujah. That's what this first verse is doing for us. And I know it's easy if you've just won an MTV Music Award to just say thank you, Jesus. Or when you just scored a touchdown. 
But there are other places too that we're called to this. Not just the, the highs, but the lows as well. I was reading about what they call the Martyrs of Uganda, which happened in 1886 on June 3rd, where 32 Ugandan Christians were killed. They were actually set on fire because the king uh, there had uh, really started mistrusting them because they swore loyalty to Jesus above him. The previous king had actually converted and let Christianity uh, kind of uh, uh, loose, if you will, within the courts and all that other stuff. Not the courts, the, like the royal courts. And uh, But the king that came after him first forbade anyone to talk about Christianity and then he just started killing them. The, the uh, standers by gave a uh, give testimony to these people who are 32 in line, ready to be burned. And they said they are singing psalms aloud and praying. And you can't burn 32 people at one time. You're waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it. And you're singing out psalms of hallelujah. And if you ever read something like the book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, this is normal. I mean, it's completely abnormal and crazy. But it's completely normal for martyrs. They're singing psalms all the time, praying that they, the Lord would not help held, hold that against them. It happens all the time in martyrs. Something about martyrdom, you just start getting to singing. Because <laughs> hallelujah has hooked into their life. Praise be to the Lord as I watch my friends burn, knowing that I will burn too. Let the fires of my burning bring praise to God. I don't understand it. But I know it's hooked us into life and hallelujah has hooked them into worship. But it's easy to talk about the big things and the little things and the really difficult things. And some of you are great in those kind of extreme examples. But what about in your day-to-day life? It's not, it's above and below. It's everywhere. Can you have the hook of hallelujah when you put deodorant on? When you're wiping bottoms? When you're in a class with a teacher you don't respect? Or you're a teacher in a class with students you don't respect? How does the hook of hallelujah work there? Or does it work there? Bath time may be the most difficult hallelujah hooking time of my entire life. It's 15 minutes and it feels like I got to prepare all day for it. (laughs) The simple things, taking the trash out. Where? Verse 1 says, all places at all times. Verse 2, why? Why? Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Basically, you're praising Him for what He's done and who He is, right? For His mighty deeds, for His excellent greatness. And what this is developing in us is total recall. We need to have elephant memories so we can hook into the hallelujah. We need to put it always before us. We need to be reminded and tell each other so that we could be reminded. And this wouldn't be new for Israel either. The, the one of the most famous or the beginning of the most famous verse uh, in Israel is the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. It's the Shema. The Shema. It's a very famous thing. All right, every Bart's Mitzvah you read it. But it goes on to say this. Hear, O Israel. That, the part translated is now. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory uh, of His kingdom forever and ever. 
Keep going. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them thoroughly to your children. And you shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your arm. You shall, uh, And they shall be a reminder between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your grates, on your gates, on your lips, on your arms. Right between your eyes. So that we'll remember. You know that in, in, uh, in, in very conservative Orthodox Jewish practices, there is a little, you know, a Torah right there, right? Walk around and walk around with it. That's not so bad of an idea. You look a little, you know, but that's all right. Always before us. Focusing our minds, our full-bodied attention on what God has done for us. That's what we want to do. Look, we need to revisit God's goodness to us. There are stories here, lots of stories here, where God has turned stony hearts into flesh, where chains of alcoholism, other generational sin, of drug addiction, of drug Selling have been broken here in this community, in this church. Simple things like some of you, as Pastor Howard said, why he converted, were failing algebra. And the Lord delivered you. And some of you didn't struggle like this. You were the good kid. And you had everybody conned. And if that's you... You know how oppressive and what chains get tied around you on that too. And you've been freed from that performance treadmill that kills you. See, what's happening is we get humbled as we look at these, uh, the, 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 uh, the what, God, what God has done and who He is. Look, our Bible declares that He sent His only Son uh, for us for the forgiveness of the sin, for sins and to restore us to all things. He's saying that every square inch of the universe has His fingerprint on it in some way, whether it's the fingerprint of His creative potter's hand or the blood-stained, scarred hands of Him redeeming us and our souls. He's a, he saved us from all sorts of stuff that we can't imagine. Stray bullets for some of you, literally stray bullets here. And some of you stray comments that could have killed you even more. Or resistance and a shield against the comments that you did here. This passage is asking us to account for daily, weekly, secondly, of God's acts and who He is. We need to be bean counters. We need to be list makers. So we can get hooked into the hallelujah that is so good for our soul. Look, y'all, we have these things what my wife calls privileged complaints. And the reason she came up with the term was because she recognized it in her own life. A privileged complaint, according to theologian Amanda Hyatt, is, um, is when you, uh, you, you complain about something like this. I'm ten minutes late to go to the grocery store because my kid did X or Y. 
You're 10 minutes late because you're to the grocery store to get in the, from the house that you own to get into the car that you own. And you're 10 minutes late because your, uh, your baby, let's say, this is earlier, threw up all over herself and so you gotta change, uh, clothes that you now have two pair, two things of, at least two to be able to do that to, to go to the grocery store that you can now buy food for and take it back to your house. You get, you get the point? Privileged complaint. Right? I'm 30 minutes late for vacation. Now, y'all know my family's from Hawaii, and Hawaii's hot, and there's no lie. But even though it's 89 degrees and there's no air conditioning in Hawaii, nobody uses air conditioning in Hawaii except for uh, the Howleys and the people who are not from Hawaii who go and move there. Uh, but uh, no one uses it. But you can't, you know, you're sticky hot, the humidity's bad, the trade winds aren't moving, and I'm sitting there going, this is really hot. And I can, all I can do is go, you can't complain! You're in Hawaii! You know? You just can't stop! Don't even try! Stop! Right? We can't do it because because my wife came up with the privilege complaint and now it's all stuck on me. I can't do anything about it. We do that a lot and we miss the counting of our of our blessings for this. And the reason why is because we miss all the hymns and hisses in verse two. Look, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Look, we need to get off ourselves. The navel gazing's killing us, y'all. It really is. We need another focus. Him himself. That really brings some clarity to certain situations. It's the him that that makes us humbled. His work. What he does. This navel gazing creates pity parties. And sometimes we need to get our intellectual, um, uh, our minds uh, set around, kind of pick up our, you know, put on our big girl panties intellectually and just go, okay, it's not really about me. It's not really about me. There are bigger things, and it's important. God's mighty deeds, His work. We complain a lot. But basically, this passage is telling us to take two aspirin and call them in the morning. Hallelujah is about His mighty deeds. Hallelujah is about His greatness. Not really about you. So, we've got a where and a why. And now we got the how. Look at verses 3 through 6. Now remember, all this praise him is hallelujah. L. Uh, no, praise him is hallelujah. Is hallelujah. So it's the part of that hallelujah. So listen. Hallelujah. Uh, excuse me. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what this, I mean, this is very sophisticated reading of the scripture for you. What he's saying is, give them what you got. Give them what you got. Now, there's all sorts of really interesting things about this, like where these musical instruments come from and the shofar and the, the fact that they're sounding cymbals and then triumphant cymbals and some are dancey cymbals and some are big clanging cymbals, you know, and some are really, really loud. The shofar horn is really loud. They have all sorts of, you know, stringed instruments, which is for the ballads, I guess. Um, you know, those kind of things. The people who are, you know, love the organ, say pipes, you know, hey, as they're here, the organ must be what Jesus wants. Um, uh, if you go back to Psalm 149, you got the 149, you have another list of instruments, and those instruments are actually all instruments that are non-Hebrew instruments. And so they've been brought into the worship of God through all these different cultures and norms. And so the answer to this, I mean, the, what, basically what it's asking us is to become new psalmists, to bring what you got. 
whether it's the spoons or a turntable, whatever it is, whether it's um, uh, uh, a clarinet, whether it's spoken word, whatever it is, or a tambourine, we bring what we've got to praise Him. And don't forget your mouth, everything that has breath, you bring that too. Now, you've heard me talk about Amanda's mom a good bit. Amanda's mom was an amazing woman. She taught me more about the Bible than anybody else until I went to seminary. And she taught me more about following Jesus than anybody else, including seminary. But Amanda's mom could not sing. And she had no rhythm. Like none. No rhythm whatsoever. But her mantra was, well, I'll give you a story about her rhythm. Sometimes she'd be clapping. And Amanda's dad, who is, has one of the most beautiful bass voices you'd ever hear, and has sung all those, like, you know, uh, doing those singings in the South where you do the tents and all that other stuff. He grew up doing all that kind of stuff. A beautiful voice, and the rest of the kids do. She'd be clapping in church, and ever so lightly, gentle Lee Carver would just grab her hands. Because <laughs> she had no rhythm. And she knew she couldn't sing, but she said, look, Jesus gave me a voice, and I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and it's his own fault. He's gonna have to, if he's gonna be fed up with hearing my voice, it's his problem. He told me to praise him, and I'm gonna praise him. I would gladly have him miraculously change my voice so I can sing up, but I can't, so I'm just gonna sing. Whatever you've got, there's something really beautiful there. Sing. Sing something off key. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. With all that we have, all that God's made us. Commentator wrote this, the elect soul, the heir of God, becomes eaten up with the love of God. He begins every sentence with hallelujah. And his sentences are very short, for he's in haste to utter his next hallelujah and his next and his next. He's that out of breath with enthusiasm or as one on tiptoe in the act of rising from earth to heaven, the hallelujahs of praise. That's what that reads like. That's amazing. All right. So what, Georgia? So what, Pastor? Let me tell you something. Besides the little mentions of Jesus here and there. That was a synagogue sermon. Every Jew in the world would love that one. Most Muslims as well. But we're Christ central. What's it got to do with Jesus? What's this all about? What's the specifically Christian reaction and response to such a thing? Well, things like mighty deeds start making more sense after Jesus comes. Things like worship start making more sense after Jesus comes. Things like the priesthood start making more sense after Jesus comes. Talk to you a little bit about and belabored a little bit about the point about the sanctuary. The outer courts, sometimes the Gentile courts, depending on uh, which temple. People are allowed to come in, but only Jews were allowed to come into the inner sanctuary and priests, like I said, and then the great high priest. The uh, three veils, the colors were blue, representing heaven, uh, red, representing the earth, and purple, representing that which is between. And that purple was a symbol of, uh, uh, of, God, of heaven and earth being brought together for Messiah one day. 
right? Both Christians and Jews that looked at it as a symbol for Messiah coming. I don't know if you know about these veils into the Holy of Holies, but you know what happens, with the, what the Bible tells us happens when uh, Jesus dies? It says that the veil of the Holy of Holies gets ripped from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. Nobody just came in there and ripped it, the high priest. From the top, God ripped apart entrance into the Holy of Holies because the great high priest has come and made atoning sacrifice for us. The old priests that could go once a year, they had to tie a rope to him just in case he wasn't pure enough because uh, some Indiana Jones action happened to him and he had to get pulled out because he was dead. Every time the priest went into the inner court, he had to wash his hands, sometimes wash his whole body, depending again on which temple we're talking about. Hebrews tells us that we have one who is pure that can go before us, that doesn't have to repeat the act of cleansing himself. We have one who goes into the Holy of Holies, and by his death, the blood, by his death and the blood that he shed for us, he makes a sacrifice for us so that it can be ripped from top to bottom and we have all entrance into flooding, uh, flooding into the hallelujahs. And not just us to the hallelujahs gaining entrance into God, but God busting out so that he can hook the hallelujahs in us. Look, y'all, it would be really helpful to say to you right now, we just need to worship like Jesus. What's wrong with that? Jesus didn't do a lot of worshiping, did he? Jesus was worshipped. Big difference, right? Yes, he did his temple practices, but Jesus was worshipped. You know when, when Cornelius, we talked about a while back, when Cornelius came uh, uh, to Peter and he dropped down on his knees, he started worshipping Peter and said, Peter said, get up, only God can be worshipped. Same thing happens to Jesus and Jesus lets it happen. They worshipped him and said five, ten times, either his disciples or people around him after he does a miracle, whatever it is, they worshipped him. See, Jesus doesn't just become, uh, the, uh, Jesus becomes the object of our worship in Christianity. The hallelujah is, uh, the, is hallelujah Jesus. Hallelujah Yahweh for sending Jesus. So it's not that he's our example, he's the object of worship. And if I threw all that on you and didn't give you this last part, you'd be in despair because you cannot worship on your own. You don't have it in you. What we prayed about and we sang about earlier is that Jesus is actually the one who intercedes for us. He translates our worship. He makes our worship legitimate. He uh, puts the blood of his atoning love on us. And those five wounds that bleed cry out, forgive, O Father, forgive. He makes us able to be worship, to worship. He cleanses our hearts so that we can actually get a little worship out. And He translates our words and our hearts so they might be acceptable to His Father, so that we can say, Hallelujah. His mighty deeds is His death and resurrection. And the fact that He intercedes for us, the one who was worshipped, intercedes for us, goes before us, advocates for us so that we can worship Him. I'm read to you a little bit from Romans as I close. What then shall we say in response to this? We started with that question. All the Psalms, all everything, everything the, the craziness of life. It's this. If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who has raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're worthy of all praise. We thank you that you are worthy to be worshipped, that you are a God, you're the lover of our souls, that you created us and redeemed us. We thank you that... uh, that lots of people from tribes and tongues and nations from all over that, that have, have noticed this, have seen this, have declared it true, have celebrated. We thank you that this isn't our deal, this isn't our gig, this isn't our, our thing, but this is your thing. And you have actually hooked your grace into us and given us voices and hearts that can sing hallelujah. Amen.